Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Tuned in to the Roto Experts. Rise and shine, fantasy players. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Tuesday, July 3rd. Let's cock a doodle do it. This is Roto Experts in the morning, right here on the award winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I am your host, Dane Martinez. They call me Speed Spitting Statistician. As always, I am honored to have as my co-host, FSWA Hall of Famer, the King, Scott Angle. Hey, Scotty, I was out yesterday. Did you miss me, brother man? Yeah, good to have you back. Uh, I told uh, all the listeners that you were out holding a special rapping camp for the youth of Manhattan, <laughs> you know, teaching them all the finer points. And uh, yeah, meanwhile, yeah, well. we kept pushing the exclusive Edge Fantasy football package. You can now enter the promo code the King at checkout for Ooh. a special discount. Nice. Is it the King or just King? The King. The King. I like how you have to have the right pronoun when you talk about the royalty that is yeah. Scotty Angle. Listen, we got you know, football. You know yeah, I like Corey Parson, right? the, the fantasy executive yeah. almost in I the should building. Be more like, I know. Yes, yes, yes. You, you know what I'm communicating. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I know that you, uh, Corey Parson, Jake Seeley, Chris Ventra, Greg Sussman, Brandon Marianne Lee, and some others just did a fantasy mock draft. So we're going to look at that a little bit later on. The King mentioned that the Roto Experts exclusive Edge Fantasy Package is launched. We're going to look at some of his quarterback rankings. There's also great content from, you know, all sorts of experts here, okay? I'm talking about, like, Bobby McMahon with post-hype sleepers, Chris Mitchell with fantasy myths. We're going to delve into some of that. There's also so many ways that you could join the show. If you guys want to get down as we put the fun in functional sports radio, the number to call is 844-843-6879 if you want to chat it up with Scott and I. Also, listen, we have been doing the face of baseball brackets... And we are at our final. I think it's very fitting, Scott, that as we celebrate America and the boys of summer going into July 4th, we have the final of our tournament. The last two men standing are the number three seed, Jose Altuve, the five foot four MVP, taking on the guy who may have the best war in any season of all time this year, the number four seed, Mike Trout. Last I heard, though, Scott, the Golden State Warriors have looked, reached out to try to sign Mike Trout. Yeah, I see. I think they're going to reach out and sign Tom Brady, too. Yeah, I know. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. As you heard at the top of the show, Boogie Cousins, they're like matching LeBron, signing for yeah. signing, but I digress. I think, I think, what do you think? I think Kyle Bush is going to go there, too. Yeah, I know. Fifth right? race this week. Maybe, maybe Michael Phelps and Serena Williams can join as well. We'll see. What do you think yeah, about what this the matchup? Hell? And why not The Rock? Yeah, I like right. that. I like that. 
Yeah, uh, what do you think about this uh, Trout versus Altuve? I mean, these guys have dominated their matchups so far. Who do you think is going to be crowned the face of baseball, Scotty? This is going to be very close. I mean, both are. But I, I think Trout, is, I think a lot of the users are savvy, and they're going to vote with who they think is the best player in the game. And I think, you know, statistically it's going to come down to that. And I think Trout is a little bit more recognizable than Altuve, just based on his own merit. Trout is on the better team. But, I mean, Altuve's on the better team, but Trout is the better player. Absolutely. So if you want to join the fun and vote in our final poll, hit us up at Spittin' Speeds, at Scotty RotoX, at The All-In Kid, and, of course, at Roto Experts. We're going to leave that poll up across the holiday tomorrow so we can get a good read on who you guys really think should be the champion. Hey, Scotty, I know I wasn't here but there was yesterday, but there was a couple of pieces of news over the weekend that I would be remiss if I either you know didn't check in on if you guys discussed it and what the take was or get your opinion on it. And, Scott, I know you're a big Seahawks fan. So I wanted to start with what I saw, um, kind of the news from Cam Chancellor. I saw that Cam Chancellor, you know, unfortunately his uh, his injuries kind of with the what with his neck and back have not really healed up at all. And so it looks like he is walking away from the NFL. I mean, Scott, when you think about this Legion of Boom, Richard Sherman is in San Francisco. Earl Thomas is holding out. Cam Chancellor is, you know, moving away from the game. They've also lost guys like Michael Bennett this year. Angel uh, and uh, 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 stop, stop, what? stop. The, Le- the Legion of Boom I know, the Legion is the of Boom secondary. is the secondary. I understand. Not the entire defense. This. Yes, yeah. I know. The Legion of Boom yeah. is the secondary. I'm now, I'm after that point, I'm going on to the defense as a whole, who have also lost Averill, who's lost Michael Bennett, who had for a time last year Sheldon Richardson. He has moved on. Scott, I know you are a big Seahawks fan. Um, what, you know, is the is the window closing on the Seahawks, what's your reaction to this news? Obviously, Cam Chancellor, a great member of that Legion of Boom, of that defense, but it kind of seems like, um, you know, the cycle continues to go, and the Seahawks may be uh, thinking about it in a different way. What's your take on this? Yeah, you know, this is not a top eight or ten fantasy defense anymore. Mm-hmm. Could be top ten. Top eight, I think, is pushing it when you're drafting defenses. But they still do have some pieces if they keep Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is still the best free safety in football. And let's not forget Bobby Wagner is still the best middle linebacker in in football. And they also have K.J. Wright, a very good underrated uh, outside linebacker on that unit. And Frank Clark has really come on on the defensive line, making a guy like Bennett more expendable. So it still can be a good defense in terms of pure NFL this team is still a playoff contender, I believe, because when you have pieces like Russell Wilson, Earl Thomas, Bobby Wagner, KG Wright, Doug Baldwin, you know, that's still a good team with a lot of winning experience. You know, this was a dominant fantasy defense uh, from 2012 to 2015. Although it didn't finish number one every year in fantasy rankings, you could you could knew that there was a defensive floor in terms of them holding opponents down, getting turnovers, getting sacks, etc. And they're just they're not a great they're not going to be a great fantasy defense anymore for the Seahawks as a team. I think the championship window is now closed, but they can still be a playoff team. Yeah, I hear you. You know, I think about it, Scott. I think about it similarly to uh, remember when we were talking about the Baltimore Ravens defense, and we, well, maybe it was me and Jake, and we said, you know, if they take a step back from like truly special to like you know good, or even you know 
better than good, very good, or, you know, in, in that range, going from an elite top three, top five defense more to something like between seven to ten or something like that, that's a big step. So we shall see, you know, in the NFC West, also taking it away from fantasy for a second, you know, you have the Rams who had the number one offense in the league last year. A lot of people really, really like them. They're all in this year. You talk about San Francisco with the ascension potentially, and I put that word potentially in because you got to remember his sample size, as Scott usually mentions, you got to remember Jimmy Jesus was doing this with San Francisco at the end of the season, and it does not necessarily carry over, but there is a lot of buzz in San Francisco, Uh, and then, you know, you have the Arizona Cardinals, who a lot of people think may be kind of resetting with their rookie quarterback. Scott, do you think the Seahawks are going to finish second or third in the NFC West this year? I mean, you got to, do you, do you, A, do you concede that the division favorite is the Rams? And then secondly, what do you see prediction-wise vis-a-vis the 49ers and the Seahawks? Who do you think actually comes out in second in that division? I think the Seahawks do. Emery Hunt was, uh, and I were talking yesterday, and he actually believes the Seahawks are going to win the division. He says the Rams are the best team on paper, but the game is not won on paper. The Seahawks still have the type of players in key positions who know how to win and you know how to know how to make clutch plays with the game on the line. I I don't I don't agree with him quite after what I saw of the team last year. Uh I th- he thinks the offensive line is vastly improved. I think it has improved. I don't know if vastly well, it has <laughs> has improved, but Rashad he thinks Rashad Penny's going to make a big difference. Mm. Uh I think this team can still be a wild card, but just you know, the Rams are now moving into their second year and just so much talent on both sides of the ball. A lot of it is played together. I think the 49ers are a little overrated and are going to take time to mesh there. And I think you're going to feel the effects in fantasy, too, if people overdraft Jimmy Garoppolo and Jarek McKinnon. All right. Fair enough. So you still see the Seahawks there as a wild card contender. Um, you know, I can see them going nine and seven, something like that. I can see that. Nine and seven doesn't make the playoffs. Ten and you don't six think so? will, ten and six will, will, will make you get you that second wild card. Uh, you know, right. Nine and seven. It's very hard to make the playoffs with that record. All right, but like I said, you know, I could see them being, you know, as we discuss it, who some of these kind of like fringe contenders are, the wild card contenders, you know, the Seahawks can be in that group. Another thing I saw over it the is, weekend. It is the end of an era, though, because with the Legion of Boom was three guys. It was Thomas, Sherman, and Chancellor, and two of those mm-hmm. guys are left. You know, you just, got, you just got one guy out of the three left. So it's the end of an era, but, you know, for me as a fan, it was – it was a spectacular era, two Super Bowl trips and a victory, and uh, they never, for f- five straight years, they at least were in the second round of the playoffs. You know, I think uh, fans of a lot of teams would would want to see that. You know, ask a Lions fan or a Jets fan, would you know, would they would they like to have that kind of success? You know, I saw them win the Super Bowl for the first time and was a fan since 1984. So, you know, very successful era, And but, you know, NFL is not for long, so... You know, it was a great half century, having half decade. Absolutely, but you know, we don't we don't need to give their eulogy just yet. That is why they play the games. Another thing that I saw over the week. Okay. <laughs> the next thing that I saw over the weekend that I would love to get your take on is down in Indianapolis, I saw that Robert Turbin got popped for a four-game PED suspension. Now, I didn't think, Scott, necessarily that he was going to be the lead back or anything, but I thought that he was going to be part of a committee, Scott, and I use that word committee wisely because it was more than a timeshare. When you talk about Marlon Mack, you talk about Robert Turbin, and we talk about a rookie that I know you have been pretty high on. You drafted him in a rookie draft 
about Naheem Hines. Now, if Turbin is gone for the first four games, do you think that provides an even bigger opportunity for a guy like Hines to maybe get a little bit of exposure and, you know, grab a part of what could then become a timeshare with Marlon Mack? Um, does he have a chance to kind of grab that role more definitively with Turbin missing the first month of the season? No, because Turbin's role was defined as a goal line back, and Naheem Mines is way too small to be a goal line back. I think what it does is, uh, you know, I think it cuts out roles in the committee where maybe Marlon Mack is the outside runner, Jordan Wilkins is is Mm, the inside runner, and uh, and then you got Naheem Hines as the pass catcher, and it's either going to be a three man committee or a two man timeshare. I think. This opens the door maybe for Jordan Wilkins to be either be that sleeper or, you know, time for Marlon Mack to show that he can run inside and near the goal line. Yeah, interesting. Listen, people will have some opportunity here. I like that you mentioned Jordan Wilkins as the guy because remember, and we've talked about this before, Scott, you know, everybody has a kind of different role. You know, there's the early down guys, there's goal line guys, there's PPR kind of guys. I remember we talked about this when we saw that Mark Ingram went down with PEDs. We were trying to tell people, do not just automatically assume that Kamara would wind up getting that because he was a different kind of back. So it's interesting that you bring up Jordan Wilkins. You, you, you got you know some of these guys, you know Mick, and some of those guys, you know. There you go. So you got to get the right roles for the to fill out the entire room. So it's interesting. Keep an eye on Jordan Wilkins as potentially someone, uh, you know, who could get an opportunity. And Marlon Mack will definitely have a chance to, uh, you know, add to his kind of value with the Colts. Hey, Scotty, one thing I saw yesterday is um, Green Bay Packers running back Aaron Jones, you know, and this is this is kind of like this, you know, summer news. We hear everybody's in the best shape of their lives. We hear everybody's rehab is going going well, you know, that sort of stuff. Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, we're hearing that he, quote-unquote, bulked up for durability and pass protection. Now, Scotty, I hear that with rookies, pass protection is one of the hardest things for them to, uh, you know, kind of hit the ground running on. You know, it's kind of a learning process. And you don't Mm want to be, especially in Green Bay, you don't want to put your quarterback at risk. I hear his his collarbone is a little fragile up there in Green Bay. But the thing is, okay, so he bulks up. Right. But I'm actually concerned that this would have a negative impact on his rushing. You know, when I hear this, when I hear that backs are bulking up, I don't usually think it's a good thing. When you hear this about Aaron Jones, do you think that that helps him going to be on the field in passing situations or does it really not move the needle for you? Are you tell me about this Green Bay? What is also a committee between Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams and still potentially last year starter Ty Montgomery? What do you think about the Green Bay Packers running back room? Yeah, with Aaron Jones, you know, he flashed last year and maybe putting mm-hmm. on some more bulk. He thinks will keep him on the field more often. And more bulk could be more goal line chances as well. Uh, but this is kind of like when you ask me about these closure things like in Tampa Bay and right. Toronto, you know, who's going to be the guy? It's got to be played out. It, it, you know, you can't just say, okay, this is going to be the guy. I think during the preseason training camp, you know, we have to see who emerges the worst case scenario is you got three guys, and the best case scenario is you're going to have Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones being the lead back. And 
both of them are going about in the same range as drafts and, you know, pretty much like uh, like 30 to 35 in like preseason running back rankings because both Jones and Williams flashed last year. I think Jones has more big playability, whereas Williams could be more dependable. You know, this could be a true committee here. It's like I can't remember the last time that the the uh, Green Bay Packers had a dependable running back who they really, really leaned on. Even when Eddie Lacy had his few good years, they were still going to the passing game first. Yeah, I would I would say Amon Green would be the answer for yeah, that. Yeah, that maybe. probably is, yeah. I would I would say you have to go all the way back to Amon Green and then maybe Edgar Bennett before that, you know. Dorsey I mean? Levins. Yeah, Dorsey Levins. And, and didn't Bennett and Levins even kind of share time? Yeah, but Levins eventually became the guy. But that, throughout yeah. the whole Aaron Rodgers era, they've right. been a pass-first pass, pass first team. So, you yeah, know, absolutely. in that regard, it gives Ty Montgomery an advantage. Absolutely. You can go, I, I like any time I could bring in Amon Green into the show, though. I will say that. I wanted to ask you, though, Scotty, about Ty Montgomery. What do you think? I mean, because, listen, he's still kind of like – first of all, he went into last year almost as a starter, remember, and, you know, kind of – converted wide receiver type out of Stanford. But, you know, he's another one of these guys that maybe you think, Scott, his body was not able to handle the pounding, so they may look, you know, to limit his kind of uh, his role. Not limit his role, but be very specific so they can maximize it. You know, I would say a la Chris Thompson in the Washington football team. But here's my question for you, Scotty. I mean, this wide receiver room for Green Bay has changed over the last year or two. Remember, they moved Ty Montgomery, you know, to this running back position when they had, you know, when they had Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb, and they were intrigued by guys like uh, like Jeff Janis and Geronimo Allison. That's not necessarily the case now. Jordy Nelson is gone. Randall Cobb was spotted in a walking boot. You have Devontae Adams, but... What do you think? Is there potential for maybe them to kind of move Tom, Ty Montgomery back to receiver? He is one of the better wide receivers they have on their roster right now. I haven't heard anything about it. I think what's going to happen is I talk all the time about uh, about quarterbacks who can make receivers better. And I think yeah. it's just about who gets plugged in next to Devontae Adams. You can't trust Randall Cobb to stay healthy. So I think that really opens up a lot of possibilities Geronimo! For, for Geronimo Allison. But you never know. I was, you know, they, could could we see could we see somebody like Trevor Davis or even a rookie like Jamon Moore maybe uh, emerge here? I think we're going to have a sleeper wide receiver emerge in Green Bay. I think it's inevitable. Right. And so that's what that's what I'm saying, you know, because it could be someone coming out of nowhere. I mean, if I was the Packers, I would consider someone who has that NFL experience there with Aaron Rodgers. as They drafted three rookie wide receivers, Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez, Valdez Scantling and Aquinas St. Brown. And just uh, just just so we can say his name, I want it to be Aquinas St. Brown. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. I just want to have some of these names out here. When we're talking about the Packers, I mean, I want to say Geronimo as many times as possible. You're going to have like Aquinas or whatever. So this is a a good team for fantasy nicknames and for fantasy names. We'll see if they actually produce for your fantasy team. And Scott, one last thing, and I know you probably talked about it a lot yesterday, Um, but this Jameis Winston thing. I mean, he's getting the three games, but then I also saw another note over the weekend, Scott, that I wanted to get your thoughts on. They're also saying that, like, if there's any other potential, like, 
future issues with Jameson, that they would consider something a much more serious measure, even including, like, banning him from the league. Like, this sounds very, you know, this sounds like something's really up with Jameis. Like, you know, I mean, it sounds like they are truly concerned about his kind of maturity, some of his behavior, you know. But here's my question. Jameis Winston got three games. Last year, Ezekiel Elliott got six games. You know, can you help me make some rhyme or reason out of, like, the personal conduct policy, Scott? I mean, I kind of – I do not understand. I do not understand how Zeke Elliott gets six games, right? But um, Jamal – excuse me, but Jameis Winston gets three. And then you look at other kind of, you know, things recently. Remember, uh, you know, last year, was it, um, you know, like, oh – what was it, Josh Brown, the Giants kicker, with his yeah. wife, domestic violence. He got one game. You know, Tom Brady and Deflategate gets four games. Players, though, like Martavis Bryan, who used marijuana, get 16 games. There still seems to be no well, rhyme Brian, or reason Brian, to Brian policy. Had a, Brian had a previous track record. So. Fine. Yeah. Fine. But, but talk to me, even just Jameis and Ezekiel Elliott. Why is one three and one six? You're asking for something that exi- doesn't exist. That can't be answered by anybody outside of the NFL office. You know, we talked about it last year incessantly when the Zeke thing was about to come down. Nobody knew. Everybody was making a guess. Nobody knows why the NFL exactly levies these specific uh, lengths of suspension, what it's going to take to have a certain amount of games or to just get suspended at all. It's all guesswork. It really is. I think you know that. I think that's top secret info, and none of us outside the game know it. Yeah, you know, it's just it's it's frustrating though, and you know, for me especially, the biggest one for me was what I threw in there that Josh Brown one. You know, the kicker of the Giants yeah. with his his wife, and that was well documented. Even some events at the Pro Bowl a few years back, and he gets one game, and you can compare that to others. It just it it it, it really. It has no rhyme or reason to me. I completely agree with you, but it just—it's a bad look, in my opinion. You know, well, they wanted look, to come out with a consistent kind of policy, and it still seems like they're fumbling over themselves with it. With Elliot, I think they wanted to make a statement, uh, you know, because he was a star player on what's why I don't know is considered a marquee franchise, uh, and I think they wanted to make a sort of statement there, and I think. I think that Elliot's behavior in in a few ways they kind of wanted to also get him to like wake up and mature. With J- with Jameis Winston, it uh, you know why not six games? You know that's but, what but, I'm saying. Yeah. I mean they want to get him to wake up and mature too. This guy is the potential. Fa- he is the face of a franchise. They built an entire hard knock series around this guy. You know I mean former Heisman winner, former number one overall pick. I mean same kind of like young guy like Zeke, and they want to send a message. It's not like Jameis hadn't had issues in his past standing up on cafeteria tables with crab legs and otherwise. So I mean I hear you. I just think you know. It goes back to just no rhyme or reason. I hear you, Scott, no, there isn't. kind of grab at straws there, there, on this one. There isn't. The only thing from a fantasy perspective is, you know, I wish with Ezekiel Elliott we would have had closure uh, oh, yeah. quicker, quicker than we did with the Winston thing. It's like, bam, you know, now you already know. 
this is true. At least you go into the season knowing that it'll be three games and then that'll be it. With Ezekiel Elliott, you were worried about, you know, will it be zero? Will it be six? And then if it was six, when in the season would it be? It got pushed back all the way to really mess up the push stretch run of fantasy football. Hey, Scotty, here's what I want to do. Yesterday... Uh, you guys over there at Studio 34 and Rock and Riley's in Midtown Manhattan, you guys had a uh, fantasy mock draft, you know, with all the guys there. It was yourself, our guy, the all-in kid, the analyst, Chris Ventra, you know, the uh, fantasy executive, Sussman, our boy Emery Hunt you were talking about, the rest of the best friends forever. You guys had a little bit of a draft. I would love to break down your team and get your thoughts on some of the other teams that were competing. Tell me about this, though. In the 10 spot, it says that there was a fan how did this come together with the fan and some of these other guys you know bill enright andy singleton first of all just tell me how was it doing the draft with studio 34 was it pretty crowded in there with all these people how was it had to be a fun Uh, atmosphere with all the experts talking football you know they set it up nicely it was myself bill enright uh brandon mary and lee ventra uh some pff uh, you know the uh the Anthony from Fantrax and Emery all at one table, and then the BFFs in the corner, and <laughs> and, uh, and Corey Parson and Greg Sussman hosting in another corner against against okay. another wall. Jake on Skype, and uh, and you're going to be able to see all the results this week. Absolutely. So they are will be part of the Roto Experts exclusive Edge Fantasy Package. Hey, uh, hey, Scott, I like I like where you're going here. You know, you, you, you had the third pick, right? So yeah. you have Gurley, right? You go Gurley three after Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott. Then you come around and get Adam Thielen and Doug Baldwin um, two and two, uh, you know, in rounds two and three. You wait on quarterback a little, wind up with Kirk Cousins in the eighth round. You wait on tight end, wind up getting the fifth tight end off the board, who is Evan Ingram um, in the seventh round. Interesting pick here, and I also see that you are the man – who wound up with Lamar Jackson towards the end of the draft. I got to tell you, if Emery Hunt was in the draft, I would have expected him to wind up with uh, Lamar He is Jackson. in the draft. He, he I know, but I would have – that's what I'm saying. I would have expected him to wind up with Lamar Jackson based on the way that he's been hyping He was the up. first one to take a quarterback. He took Russell Wilson in round really? four. And I said to him, now, Emery doesn't look at things like us fantasy guys look right. at things because he comes from a scouting and exactly. playing background. But I said – I said to him, I said, look, Russell will, uh, you know, he's great for your fantasy locker room, you know, in terms of intangibles, <laughs> but I don't know if he should be the first quarterback off the board because the Seahawks are going to try to run the ball more and not let Wilson ca- try to carry the entire team on his back this year. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll dive into a little bit more of your draft, some of the things that happened in this draft a little bit later on in the show. I'm telling you, I'm a little bit intrigued. You know, when you got a bunch of quote-unquote experts, how, you know, quarterbacks aren't really going until the seventh round. You know, you get only two quarterbacks were drafted before round seven. That's very interesting. And right got Rivers in round 12, and he can start them. Yeah, we'll dive into that a little bit later on. We'll give you some baseball bumps and bruises and headlines as well. Roto experts in the morning. Come on right back. Are you new to Daily Fantasy? Are you a veteran? Either way, you can better your chances of winning money and lots of it. 
by going to dailyroto.com. Multiple people have become millionaires thanks to the guys at Daily Roto. Why not take advice from the experts? You can become a millionaire too. Just go to dailyroto.com to rock daily fantasy sports. Welcome back. It is Roto Experts in the morning right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, the spitting statistician and the king. We are here putting the fun in functional sports radio. In the background, that's hype man Scott Angle bouncing around there, having a little bit of fun here on a Tuesday as we slide into a holiday. Hey, Scotty, what do you do for July 4th? What do you do for July 4th? Any barbecues? Watch fireworks? I'm going to the movies tomorrow. Oh, yeah? I already got my tickets. Oh, yeah? What are you seeing? That new Jurassic Park movie. Uh, the Jurassic World, I think it yeah. is, or whatever. Yeah. Sounds good. Mr. Bavona there down there in our well, fantasy. Bavona sees industry. everything. So. Dilly Dilly. Yeah. He is a cinephile, and he's got a pretty good review of Jurassic World. That sounds fun. I don't really have many plans yet. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that there's going to be like an 11th hour barbecue invite or something like that. You know, and I'll probably wind up watching the fireworks somewhere. But the thing is, on Thursday, we'll be right back at it, 7 a.m. on Thursday. So, you know, we can't party too, too much. Hey, Scotty, we do want to let people know about some headlines and some injuries out of Major League Baseball. You know, I saw some interesting things over the weekend that I'm sure you touched on. You know, we've talked about the Blue Jays situation. Tapera goes on the DL. Looks like Pollock and Vizcaino may be on their way back. Carrasco and Pollock is back. Pollock is already uh, back. He was activated yesterday. Yesterday. I think they're yeah. trying to activate Vizcaino, I think, today. And it looks like Carlos yeah. Carrasco and, and Tanaka could help some AL Yeah, Carrasco should be right? back Friday and Tanaka is going to make a rehab start uh, uh, tomorrow and could be back next week. What else do we got bumps and bruises-wise? or is that uh, Not just some bumps and bruises, but Francisco Lindor last night mm. with two home runs, yes. a grand slam, and seven RBIs. Yes. He's already got 23 homers. We're not at the All-Star. Wow. Game. And the yeah, interesting thing about Lindor is, you know, we had a thirty, had a thirty-three homer season, but he never showed this kind of power in the minors. And hmm. for, you know, if we talk about fantasy MVPs. It's like, have we not talked enough about Francisco Lindor? Yeah, that's interesting. Remember, I mean, we've been talking about these American League shortstops left and right from Machado to Correa to Lindor to your guy Gene Segura. You know, it is absolutely. Packed, and it's interesting how you talk about Lindor um, didn't have the power necessarily in the minors, and is showing that. Remember, I've been saying the same thing with my guy Glaber as well. Let me ask you this, also, Scotty. Remember when a couple of weeks back I was so pissed off about the Baltimore Orioles and how like uh, Brad Brock didn't get that save that one day? Yeah, uh, it was like a three-run. Okay, did you see what happened in the Dodgers game last night, Scotty? No. So oh, Dodgers, wait a minute. It was a 17-1 to game. Yeah, and, and uh, Caleb I'm, Ferguson got a yeah. save in a 17-1 to game. Yeah, How does that picked, happen? He Because he, he picked three in innings in relief. So what? They had a 16-run lead. Yeah, but that's not the only rule that applies to the save. I know, but didn't we read it last time. Didn't they have to qualify with all of those things, and one of them was no, like three runs no. or less? No. So in a 16-run game, you can get a save. That's kind of a low – you know how the, uh, we talk about relievers in high leverage and low leverage situations? I wouldn't necessarily call that a high leverage situation, Scotty. Well, the save is not always credited for the high leverage situation. It's, you know, they're, they're, he has to satisfy one of three conditions in there. He, 
He's the finishing pitcher in the game, won by his team. Yeah. He's not the winning pitcher. He's not credited with at least a third of an inning pitch, and he satisfies one of the following conditions. He enters the game with a lead of no more than three runs. Well, not that And one. pitches for at least one inning. He okay. enters the game regardless of the count with the potential tying run either on base or on bat. Or he one. pitches for at least three innings. So there you go. We got that one because it was the, the, the three-inning save, even though it was a 16-run game when he came in in the seventh. So I just think that was interesting. This save rule is going to mess with a lot of people. All right, Scotty, let's go into yes. your – Shane Shane Green uh, went on oh, the DL sorry, yeah. with a uh, right shoulder strain. Was it Jimenez? Both, we think is going to take that. Yeah, well, he, he, he blew he's it, shaky. Though. He blew it though, and Blaine Hardy got the save. So we'll have to see. Uh, Byron Buxton was activated from the DL and actually sent to the minors. Uh, Lonnie Chisenhall going to be going on the DL as well. Uh, also, yeah, not a lot yesterday because there wasn't a lot of teams playing. Christian Yelich missed his fourth straight game. Jose Urena is going to uh, come back on Wednesday. And uh, that, that is pretty much it. A few trade rumors here and there about Kyle Baraclaw maybe being mm. dealt. Jerry's familiar, the rumor. Mill continues to churn. Maybe Michael Franco might be dealt. But that's pretty much it. All right, fair enough. Keep it locked. And listen, if you want more insight, you can always go on over to rotoexperts.com or don't forget about our guys over at dailyroto.com if you want to get ready and focus for DFS. I think we will have our guy Mike Leone on Thursday. He's going to miss our show in a couple weeks, but I do think we have Mike Leone this Thursday. This week, unfortunately, we miss out on getting our PGA knowledge from our guy Colin Drew. He usually joins us on Wednesday, but we will be celebrating in America tomorrow. Scotty, I also want if to tell If you have people, a little girl and want to get her a gift, you get her a pony. If you got a little boy and want to buy him something, get him DFS with Mike Leone. There you go. Yeah. The king, Scott Angle, is going to be dropping bars on us left and right. I also want to tell you, as we mentioned with DailyRoto.com, listen, if you want to go to a 2018 World Series game, you need to tune into the Fantasy Sports Network between July 8th and July 17th. We'll be playing the DKMS Trivia Challenge. That is your shot to call it and win with a chance to attend the Fall Classic in person. The number to play is 844-843-6879. The contest is sponsored by DKMS. Listen, if you don't know, we've been telling you for the last couple of years, we're partnering with DKMS to help fight against blood cancer. If you hit 300 in Major League Baseball, that's good. Okay, you could be an all-star, but that is not going to cut it as far as a match rate for donors here um, who are struggling with this disease, okay? Nearly 14,000 people every year must rely on strangers to step up and donate. Find out how you can help, all right? Go on over to dailyroto.com slash DKMS. And remember, you can win two tickets to the Fall Classic, the Trivia Challenge, going on July 8th through July 17th, right here on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Scotty, that's pretty soon. Next week, we're going to be doing some trivia, huh? Yep. Here we go. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So, Scotty, here's the thing. I, you know, it's funny. We talk all the time on this show, and to be quite honest, across this entire network, about how you wait on quarterback, right? Like, we don't think, generally speaking, that it's worth it to go ahead and spend the draft capital to get yourself an Aaron Rodgers, or get yourself a Tom Brady, whatever the case may be, right? And uh, 
because there's so many good options later on. But, you know, when you get all these quote-unquote experts in a room together, I think that happened a little bit to the extreme, Scott. I mean, you mentioned Philip Rivers going in the 12th round, Tom Brady in the 8th round. You know, I mean, Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson in the 7th round. Um, I think, what do you think? Did, did we uh, take that kind of weight on quarterback strategy all the way to the uh, extreme in this draft? Well, you saw, you saw Emory Hunt take Russell Wilson in the fourth round. So I, sure, but you know, as you, you mentioned, you, you get, he was you get fantasy guy. Yeah, but you get different viewpoints with different people in the room. Uh, I think in, in a lot of drafts, somebody's still going to take Aaron Rodgers early in a lot of mainstream and non-expert drafts. Uh, the, uh, the Brandon Marianne Lee and Bill Enright uh, decided to wait for very late. And then there are people like me who was somewhat in the middle. I don't want to wait till the, the 10th, 12th round for my quarterback because I want to take the best starter left on the board. When I fill out, say, my first six or seven skill positions that I know have to be filled by starters, I'd rather take a starting quarterback than go for a backup at another position. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Um, let me also, we've been talking a lot about the zero running back theory, you know, and Emory Hunt, who did go ahead and get <clears throat> Russell Wilson as his quarterback in the fourth round, also went up and spent the price to get in one of the elite tight ends. He actually made the pick of Travis Kelsey in the third round ahead of Rob Gronkowski. Both of them still on the board. He takes Travis Kelsey in the third round. You know, in the first two rounds, he goes Odell Beckham and Tariq. Hill, so he doesn't get his first running back until round five. We've been talking about this RB uh, zero RB theory, and let's see how he winds up, okay? Emery Hunt, yeah, he's gonna have some good wideouts, right? He's gonna have an elite tight end, but Scotty, as it stands right now, his starting running backs are Tariq Cohen and Nick Chubb. I would be concerned about that on a week-to-week basis, especially if Nick Chubb doesn't wind up being the dominant part of the timeshare or committee in Cleveland. And then he still, after that, doesn't get another running back until the 12th round. And, I mean, I don't know many teams that won't have their third, that won't have three running backs by the 11th round. He drafted a defense before his third running back, and he's going to go to go to war with Tariq Cohen, Nick Chubb, and Elijah McGuire as his main running backs. What do you think about the way Emory Hunt approached the draft eschewing the running back position? I liked his first two wide receiver picks, although there's a few guys that would have taken over Hill. I think he made a few fantasy-style mistakes. Mm. I think, I think uh, you never take a quarterback or a tight end, I think, or you, you don't take both before you take your first running back because then you're really, really hamstringing your running back situation. Maybe right. maybe one, you know, take the quarterback or the tight end, but, but and then still you're pushing back what you could do with running back. Look, Tariq Cohen could become one of those zero wide receiver running right. backs that, that Mike Leone talks about in the exclusive edge package mm-hmm. on rotoexperts.com. But to have him and Nick Chubb and roll them up both as starters, I think it's very risky, and then there's no depth behind them. Plus the fact he took both Kelsey and Hill. I know he believes that Kansas City is going to be a very explosive offense, but right. if He's that, I don't, like to, to, I don't like two, taking two guys from the same team in the early rounds because if the Chiefs score 13 points in a week mm-hmm. and they only get the, the touchdown from Kareem Hunt and somebody yeah. else, you know, he screwed for that. He screwed for that week. So, you know, there's a few things I don't like. It's I always recommend don't take a quarterback or a tight end 
before your first or second running back. And to do it before both, I think, is a big fantasy mistake. Yeah, I agree. The only other thing that I think was also very interesting, listen, if you're going to go up and grab your quarterback early like he did with Russell Wilson in the fourth round, then you don't need to double up in the eighth round and go ahead and get Drew Brees. Is this a super flex league? Was this? No, it's not. Oh, okay, so then he goes and gets, you know, Drew Brees, you know, who was like the sixth quarterback off the board, but his second quarterback in the eighth round. Listen, he could have gotten, you know, in the eighth round, he still could have gotten, you know, Chris Thompson, Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch, you know, a guy like Frank Gore, you know, a guy like maybe C.J. Anderson or something, you know, Aaron Jones, legitimate potential running backs, but he doubles down on quarterback in a non-super flex league. I find that decision very curious, especially— yeah, that was- if you're gonna go that, up. Those struck me as reaches. Drew Brees right. and then Andy Singleton going with Frank Gore, who's right. his best days are definitely behind him. He's not even going to start for the Colts. Right, absolutely. You know, in Miami, uh, not he's down in I Miami mean, now. They're going to have, Kenyon, they're gonna have yeah. Kenyon Drake there starting. But my thing is, like, listen, I believe you wait on quarterback. But in the situation where you're like, no, I want a Russell Wilson, I want a Aaron Rodgers, and you go up and get them, then you don't take your another pick on quarterback, you know, until very later on. I would have waited, you know, for the uh, – you know, the Matt Ryan types, you know, uh, a little bit later on. The big Ben Roethlisberger, who still has yet to be drafted, it looks like, in this draft. I actually think Roethlisberger could throw for more yards this year than Drew Yeah, I, I, took Lamar, I took Lamar Jackson in the 15th round with Roethlisberger still on the board. I considered mm-hmm. Roethlisberger, but I said, at this point, I don't have to go by my ranks. I already have Kirk Cousins as my starting quarterback. I'm very comfortable with that. Lamar Jackson could be a pure upside pick who could – you know, just explode, and I want to take that flyer now that it's the 15th round. Yeah, absolutely. So let's do this, um, Scotty. I also I want to compare, you know, how Emery Hunt waited, right? He waited big time for running back. With, look at what Bill Enright did. Bill Enright goes, gets three running backs in a row, right? He gets Zeke at the number two pick, McCaffrey and McCoy kind of in rounds two and three, right? Yeah, so he can he flex one up, of them, yeah. He, right, exactly. And then he winds up, you know, waiting on tight end, waiting on quarterback. So he gets Delaney Walker, whereas Emery had Travis Kelsey, right? So it's like, okay, fine, you give Kelsey an edge there. But really by how much, I'm not sure, right? Then on quarterback, Emery is going to be able to go Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, which, yes, is an advantage over Phillip Rivers. But how much? I'm not quite sure. Now, let's look at the running back difference. Like you said, when Tariq Cohen and Nick Chubb are going week to week for Emory Hunt, Bill Enright's going to be running out Ezekiel Elliott, Shady McCoy, and Christian McCaffrey. Was this built as a PPR league, uh, Scotty? Half-point PPR. At a half-point PPR, you got to think Christian McCaffrey, you know, kind of deserves that kind of level right there. And I think Bill Enright week to week is going to have a huge advantage over Emory Hunt at that position, which really matters. And Enright still winds up with Golden Tate, Larry Fitzgerald, and Jamison Crowder, especially in a PPR kind of league. These are the guys that do, you know, they get receptions. I really like the Enright approach when you look at the comprehensive team. Sure, Emory gets Kelsey and Russell Wilson, but the guys Enright winds up with are not at not that bad, and he has a huge advantage at the critical running back position, Scott. Yeah, he does, and uh, Bill and I were out on the same page. It's like, oh, you took that guy I was going to take him. Mm. Right, if you, I was right, you were right next to him you did, You know, and uh, we were on the same page you know, with a lot of his guys. It's just, you know, looking at his receivers, I don't know if I would have went McCoy in the third round uh, where he did. 
and you know maybe would have went with, with with Doug Baldwin, which I did. I'm glad he he didn't, or even T.Y. Hilton, or sure. somebody like that, because I don't know how t- comfortable I am with Golden Tate as the number one wide receiver as your one. in a in a half point PPR. He's got Fitzgerald and he's got Crowder. Those are all okay, but I think he could have had a little bit better of a receiving crew. But then you know he waits for Philip Rivers to the twelfth round. And yeah. uh, Brandon Marion Lee, she also waited very late for her quarterback Ryan, Matty Ryan as, as, as well. One, yeah. You know, Matt Ryan as a QB one. She could have. I would have went with Roethlisberger and been fine with that. Sure. I'm not a. I'm not a big Ryan fan, but still, she could have went with Roethlisberger in the 14th round mm-hmm. and gotten her starting quarterback. And I like what Brandon Marion Lee did a lot. You know, she got DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas right out of the gate. Like that, uh, when rookie and running backs. And Tampa, two rookie running backs with Jones and Geis. Then got Erst and Still Emmanuel Erst. Sanders. Yeah, I like uh, the squad. Probably at that point, I would have taken my quarterback, but, you know, but she veered differently. And uh, she's, I think she's still got a pretty good quarterback, although I would have preferred Roethlisberger. Yeah, I hear you. What I would have done, the one thing I might have done differently if I'm Brandon Marianne Lee, and, you know, I can't all the rounds you got to look, I guess. But I would not, especially if I already had an elite tight end like Zach Ertz, I don't know that I would have drafted Vance McDonald in the 13th. Okay, in the 13th, you also, I guess, you know, your options for quarterback would have been even bigger. You could have had a guy like Matt Stafford as well, you know, but I don't think you need that Vance. I like Vance McDonald. I'm I'm high on Vance McDonald, to be quite honest. But, I mean, you probably could have gotten him um, a little bit later on. I was shocked by something that happened to me. I took Evan Ingram, right? In the and you se- still get Ricky Seals-Jones available. How did Ricky Seals-Jones drop to me yeah. in the 14th round with as the 18th tight end off the board? And I said to my, I said out loud, I'm shocked that I just got Ricky Seals-Jones when we were doing the, the end of the frenzy. And Andy Singleton made a face like, oh, man, I guess I forgot he's on the board. You know, it's, <laughs> Seals-Jones is like, that guy could be like a top eight fantasy tight end this year. Yeah, absolutely. Like in he flashed for about two or three weeks last year. But you also just gotta remember, really, like what options are there? There's obviously Larry Fitzgerald there. They lose Smokey Brown, you know, and some others in the offseason. You are gonna have the return of David Johnson, okay? They drafted the rookie Christian Kirk as well. But I can easily see Ricky Seals Jones pretty much competing with David Johnson to be second on that team in terms of targets and catches, right? I would not put him second on it. It's still going to be Fitzgerald. But, you know, I think he's going to be the third option. And I think in the red zone, he becomes one of their top options. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of the production there in Arizona will come from David Johnson. I think he can score. He can catch eight touchdowns. Yeah, he he could be a red zone threat. Absolutely. Um, So, listen, I agree. I I think, you know, he should have been gone from this draft a little bit earlier than when you got him. When you got him in the 14th round, absolutely. I thought it's interesting. Nobody drafted a kicker in this one. Hi, yet, Scotty? Uh, there are no kickers in this league. It's a Jake <laughs> Seeley special. Gotcha. Fair enough. Hey, Scotty, one other thing that happened over the weekend. I don't know if you discussed it, but I do know that you're big on the Mets, and I do know that you know about all sorts of fiscal matters. And so uh, did you celebrate on July 1st? Did you celebrate Bobby Bonilla Day? Uh. I don't totally hate Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> right. Because but what do you think about this, this contract? It's a ridiculous contract, obviously. <laughs> but I, I, I've, I've interviewed Bobby twice. Yeah, he's a good guy uh, from the Bronx. One time you know, I, I like a, Spanish guys from the Bronx. I did, a, I, I did a freelance piece for the official Kiss magazine, 
It okay. turns out Bobby Bonilla is nearly as fanatical as Kiss fan as I am. Really? You would not have guessed that? Yes. That would not have been the genre I would have thought when you talk about Bobby Bonilla. Why not? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just not what would have come to mind. I can't see him decked out. In, is he, he gets dressed up like you with the face paint and the, and the spikes and everything? No, but he would, he would fly all over different parts of the country to catch the band in concert. Really? That's pretty cool. I, yeah. I got to like that. And as you know, for those of you who uh, are, are not uh, caught up and don't know what we're talking about in terms of Bobby Bonilla Day, I mean, Bobby Bonilla last played, Scotty, with the, with the Mets, am I right? In 1999, was not like hitting 160 at that point in time. What they did was they came to an yeah. agreement and deferred his money. He was owed at that point, I believe it was something like $5.4, $5.9 million left. And they were like, you know what? Here's the deal. We're going to not pay you now. We're going to defer the payments and pay you for 25 years in a row from 2010 to 2035. And we're going to defer that, and we're going to pay you $1.19 million every year for those 25 years. The Mets, the Wilpons at the time, were like, hey, we'll defer it and add something like 8%. Remember, at the time, they were also dealing with one Bernie Madoff, and they were getting 10% returns at least. That's what they thought from their financial investments. So they thought that they could pay off this Bobby Bonilla contract pretty much with just like the interest and the, you know, the cream on top that they were making from their investments. Well, as you know, things went south with Bernie Madoff, and now they have this pretty interesting contract where Bobby Bonilla from this year and every year until 2035 will be getting $1.19 million from the New York Mets. By contrast, Aaron Judge and Luis Severino will combine to make $1.2 million this year. Yeah, Bobby's now working as a – for years, he's been working for the MLB Players Association. I wouldn't and, work at all uh, if I was him. Why work at all? Yeah, yeah. You're getting a million you're getting over a million dollars still, a year. Why work? He still wants to be around he wants to still wants to be around the game. He always works in a special capacity, keeps him around the game. And you know, as for Bobby, you know, you never figure being a KISS fan. I don't know if you know, but you know, KISS has a huge, huge uh, you know, Latin following. In fact, uh in fact their biggest concert ever was uh three hundred thousand people in Brazil in nineteen eighty. Three hundred thousand? Yeah. That's like where where what arena where where did this happen? This was like an outdoor stadium in Brazil. It has to be, right? It has to be. I don't know any place yeah. that could hold 300,000 people yeah. when you think about some of these venues. That's absolutely crazy, Scott. As I mentioned, though, Scott, listen, we talked about kind of waiting on quarterback and uh, what that can yield you. We saw examples of it from Brandon Marion Lee. We saw examples of it from Bill Enright. You know, we saw maybe another example of it. Um, eh, to a lesser extent, I guess, with a guy like Frank Stanfill, who goes and gets two quarterbacks back-to-back in the 11th and 12th round. I like the way Frank Stanfill did it. I got to tell you, because, you know, he's on the turn, right? He was the last pick, so he knew mm-hmm. he could go back-to-back. He waits all the way until the 11th round, and then he gets not one but two quarterbacks who have, you know, kind of a wide variance this year, Scott. I mean, a lot of people think that, you know, both of these guys, if they perform uh, up to their health and up to some expectations, could be absolute studs. But there are questions about both of them. So he doubles up on them, hoping just one of them delivers. I'm talking about Andrew Luck and Chiefs quarterback Patty That's Mahomes. Um, what do you think 
about the way Frank approached it, getting two quarterbacks back-to-back, both with some question marks around them, but incredible upside. Uh, I like what he did because, you know, if luck is healthy and inside injury uh, says his optimal return date is September 20th, he's got one guy, if he's healthy or remotely healthy at all, uh, you know, can be a number one fantasy quarterback for sure. And another who has the upside, you know, to maybe be like a, you know, top 10, top 12 quarterback. So he's taking a risk on both, but, you know, he's got a shot that one of them is going to hit. When you look at these expert drafts, and you're going to be able to see the full results, uh, you know, on rotoexperts.com and on fntsy.com uh, later this week. When you look at these experts draft, this is not what everybody does in a mainstream league. This is right. basically what people rec- recommend that you do because you're going to see somebody taking Aaron Rodgers in the second round in a lot of drafts. Mm-hmm. And if Tom yeah, Brady's nowhere, nowhere, no way is Tom Brady fit. Tom Brady in eighth round, round eight in a mainstream <laughs> draft. Yeah. So then let me ask you when this. He was Scott, dropping, we... When he was dropping, I was like, oh, I hope he gets back to me, you know, and it right. didn't happen. So I took Cousins. Yeah, you get Cousins instead, which is just fine. Let me ask you this, Scott. So could you say that, right? In this draft, so many experts, so things like the quarterbacks plummet even more. You know, things like some of these sleepers that we've had our eyes on get drafted maybe a little bit early. How do you, if you're a fan, right, and you're, say, a, an, uh, you know, kind of an amateur, let's say, player, how do you take something like this? When you look at an expert draft, how do you take this information and apply it to your draft? Because as you said, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, they're going to go in the third round of most drafts. So how do you take this information when you see it in the exclusive edge package and apply it to your draft with your home league? Specifically, when you look at, when you look at the quarterback, you learn the lesson that while other people are jumping – that mm. you don't have to. And then there's other right. players that experts will push up the board that you should keep your eye on. Okay, so it kind of gives you faith to, to be like, I'm going to wait. I realize, I look at this, I realize that or, if I wait until the eighth round, I can still get a quarterback that I'm comfortable with. Is that that's what you mean? Or even or even a tenth round. And then yeah. you say, okay, I'm, I'm seeing that, looking at these few experts draft and a specific player is getting pushed up the board, well, maybe I should aggressively go after him and not wait for him. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. We put the fun in functional sports radio. This is how we do it. Tell Montel Jordan. I said, what's up, Scotty? Enjoy your 4th of July. I will see you bright and early right here on Thursday. We'll dive into your quarterback ranks, all right? Happy 4th of July. Uh, Enjoy the fireworks. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Tuned in to the Roto Experts. Welcome back to Roto Experts in the morning, right here on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Spitting statistician is here. We got the all-in kid joining me as well here in the eight o'clock hour. How you doing there, Jake? You missed me yesterday. How you feeling? I'm doing good. It's uh, it's a day. It's a different experience. It's a different experience. It's a different experience. That's okay. You and Scotty be able to hold it down a little bit yesterday? Yeah, we got it taken care of. 
I appreciate that. I'm sure that you did. I don't know exactly all the news and notes that you discussed yesterday, but I do want to get your take on a couple of things. We will continue our team-by-team preview. We started with the AFC West as we closed off last week. We keep it going there, talking about the Denver Broncos. And then also, you guys did a little bit of a great little fantasy mock draft for football uh, yesterday. You know, I saw some I saw some content there. Studio 34 was packed. You were there remote as well. So we're going to dive into some of this draft, and then we'll finish off the hour. Roto Clio, as always, but listen, uh, DeMarcus Cousins and the Golden State Warriors may be ruining the NBA. We'll talk about that for a couple of minutes as well. So, Jake, um, two things that I did want to bounce off you, and here's the thing, though, Jake. We always say, I know you always respond, it's June, I don't care. Well, that is no longer the case. It is July, so we'll see how if you care about the July news a little bit more. We start with something that I saw over the weekend. I'd love to get your thoughts on, and that's that Robert Turbin got popped for four games for PEDs, okay? Now, listen, I thought Turbin was going to be nothing more necessarily than the goal line back. I did fear that this was going to be, to use Scott Engel's terminology, an actual committee with, you know, Marlon Mack, as well as the rookie Naheem Hines. I asked Scott last hour, he said that this doesn't impact Hines that much because he's still kind of the space pass catcher guy, but that it could give an opportunity to uh, Jordan Wilkins to potentially get involved in this mix as well. Do you see the doors open for anybody specifically in Indianapolis with this news? No, it's still a committee. It's the committee mm. before this was still all three of them. It was just four before. Now it's down to three. Still a committee, still going to be frustrating, still going to have all three of them involved. Wilkins is arguably the best all around running back. Uh, Marlon Mack tries to do too much with too much or to every single play. And Hines is the pass catcher. So, no, this doesn't really change anything, honestly. Okay. Um, when you say, though, real quick, Jake, when you say that you think Wilkins might be the best overall back, is this all a, around all around back? Okay. Yeah, I hear you. Can being able to do a lot of the different things. Does, so that's different than when you say like that the talent wins out over time. Right. Yeah. He's just he's all around. He's kind of more well-rounded. Hines is better in the passing game. Turbin was better before he was suspended between the tackles. Uh, you could Marlon Max a little bit more explosive. He's just he's good all around. He's good in all facets of the game. And I don't see one area of the game where he's elite. And that's the problem of why he's you know he's not as good as Hines in the passing game. So he's not going to ever be you know a twenty touch game. He's not going to ever lead the backfield and be a workhorse. Fair enough. I mean, you know, Jake, did you ever for like regular Nintendo? Did you ever play the original ice hockey game? Um, And you know how you could pick like the real skinny guy, the real fat guy, or kind of like the medium guy? It sounds like you're you're saying that Wilkins is kind of like that medium guy, right? Uh, He has some agility. His shot is relatively decent. He can fight a little bit, but is decent at every area, but not a standout. There's other guys like Hines or Mack that can do other things. I'm reminded of the good old ice hockey game back in the day. Which country did you play with, Jake? I don't remember. I remember the game. I don't remember which country I played with. Oh, come on. It's almost July 4th. It's got to be America, Jake. Come on now. Um, The other piece of news that I wanted to bounce off of you, I saw Aaron Jones, okay, up there in Green Bay saying that he was going to put a little bit of weight on for two reasons. One, durability, and also for pass protection, right, to be able to be a little bit better in pass pro. Now, I acknowledge, I realize that most of the time, Rookie running backs, the kind of last piece of their game is this pass protection. A lot of rookies struggle with that, excuse me, out of the gate. A lot of different calls, a lot of different schemes, a lot of different responsibilities, especially when what you are doing is protecting the MVP candidate that is Aaron Rodgers. 
you know, I can understand you really trying to focus on this, but what does this mean for the Green Bay Packers kind of committee? You know, you still have Aaron Jones, you still have Jamal Williams, and don't forget about Ty Montgomery either. Does this make, you know, does this make Aaron Jones maybe more of a uh, complete back, more of a three down back to be out there on some passing downs? Because I actually, I don't like hearing that a running back bulks up. I actually don't think it helps their game. So I'm a little concerned. It actually makes me like Jamal Williams a little bit more. I know it's early July, so it's very similar to June news, Jake. But does this move, uh, this news, make you think that Aaron Jones might be on the field a little bit more this year? No, uh, because we haven't seen anything yet. He can bulk up all he wants, but the problem is there's two things here. One is people don't realize, or they always assume this, and actually they do if they follow football for enough time, is bulking up usually doesn't end up being a good thing. Right. Well, It's actually usually counterproductive to what the running back is, especially when you're talking about somebody like Aaron Jones who relies on the explosiveness. I mean, that's right. the fact is. And the second part is that Emory Hunt, I'll tell you, former running back, you don't have to be big to be a good pass catcher or a pass blocker. Exactly. You don't have like you don't have to weigh two twenty five to be a good pass blocker. You just have to chip. You just mm-hmm. Tiki Barger Barber wasn't two thirty two twenty five. But it's just you have to know how to chip the guy in front of you. Right. You don't have to take them on head on. So no, as of today, this doesn't do anything. And as of today, I'm still doing what I was doing before. I'll take the less expensive Packers running back in the draft. And as of now, it's still Jamal Williams. Yeah, I agree. You know, pass. You know, for running backs, it's it's about and most blocking. It's about angles. It's about leverage. You know, it's about knowledge of scheme and who's coming. You know, <clears throat> so um, instead of necessarily um, being able to square up and be a roadblock, you're not playing right tackle. You know, it's still a running back. I agree with you, Jake. The idea when I heard that he bulked up, I was like, huh. This might make me actually like Jamal Williams a little bit better. <clears throat> any uh, any big-time news, Jake, that you discussed maybe with Scott when I was gone uh, that did move the needle, in your opinion, over the last couple of days that I'm missing? Or should we move no, on was, to our Denver Broncos? He was pretty much talking about, like, package-type stuff. and so. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I also got a, uh, I got a long soliloquy out of the king this morning asking him about the uh, – to eulogize the Legion of Boom, and he certainly took me up on that opportunity, although still saying that he thinks the Seahawks are a uh, playoff contender. He sees them ahead of the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC West. That's why they play the games. Hey, uh, Jake, we are talking about the AFC West. We've been going team by team. We gave a little bit on the Raiders. Both you and I were down on the Raiders. We both liked the under when it came to their uh, season win total, which did stand at eight and a half. Both of us were down on that. Today, we're talking about the Denver Broncos. Jake, their over-under total for the season is seven. I'll get your thoughts on that a little bit later on. My question, my first question is around Case Keenum, Jake. I mean, did he just... You know, did he was last year an anomaly, I guess, is my main question. You know, he's kind of a, a guy, you know, in, in, in with the Rams and a bunch of other teams who just basically outperformed all his expectations. But remember, even when he was outperforming his expectations, his own head coach would kind of refuse to just 
announced that he was the starter. You know, it's like they didn't really want to hand the mantle over to him, hand the keys to the car. They certainly did it in the offseason. He goes to Denver where he has, you know, good weapons at wideout the same way he did in Minnesota. But I don't know if I can expect Case Keenum's performance last year to be replicable. Um, so I'm hopping off the Case Keenum bandwagon. What about you? Uh, why? What's the reason to hop off of it? Uh, I, I, I just don't think that, uh, you know, what we saw last year was his, his, his true self. I think he could have been a product of the scheme. I think he could have been a product of, you know, Thielen having an incredible year. I think he could have been a product of that great defense, putting them in positions to win all the time. Um, you know, a number of those things. And I just have not seen Case Keenum with that kind of breakout. And I don't know if I would go ahead and invest in it again, especially when you also consider, you know, new face in a new place, new scheme to learn, that sort of stuff. All those combined mean that I would look elsewhere personally, but it sounds like you think um, you have a little bit more confidence in him to replicate. Yeah, it's just the fact of like, uh, the, what's the reason? Anybody out there that wants to say Case Keenum can't do it again is just they're throwing out. Well, I just don't think. I don't think. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't, there's just not, there's nothing to say that anything that Case Keenum can't continue to be successful with the Broncos, and he's got two great wide receivers out there as well. He's got another good backfield behind him. So outside of tight end. Just the success. The fact was, he only threw for thirty-five hundred yards and twenty-two touchdowns. It's not like he's coming off four thousand plus yards and thirty to say that he's going to go out there and throw for thirty-five and twenty-two again. It was like, okay, so what? You know, that's not even that big of a deal. And you're not drafting Case Kingdom, even in most drafts and one quarterback leagues. He's not even coming off the board. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't get the speculation against that where people are just like, oh, Case Kingdom sucks. So let me ask you this, Jake. I was hearing buzz, and you, you, know, you follow the Giants closely. Wasn't there at a time where there was thinking this offseason that Case Keenum would go wherever Shermer wound up as a head coach? And so I guess that's another thing. I wonder if he was like a product of the system. It seemed like Shermer really liked Keenum and was going to be like, yeah, I'll take him as my quarterback. But I don't know now. He does go to a different team, a different scheme. Could that be, an, can that be a reason uh, that's backed by an actual thing? Like he was maybe he performed because he really was good under that scheme with Shermer as his offensive coordinator, and now that's no longer the case. No, because that's that's not what Keenum was doing. Keenum wasn't trying to follow Shermer. That was reports out of the Giants that they might try to move on for Eli Manning. That had nothing to do with Keenum looking for someplace to play. I'm saying, I'm saying that because Shermer. It, there were reports that Shermer. I know what I'm saying, is, him. but that's but, what I'm saying. That's not accurate. It wasn't had it had nothing to do with Keenum wanting to follow Shermer because that's where he got his success from. That was reports about the Giants needing to move on from Eli Manning, and then because they had Shermer bring in the quarterback that he just made good. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'm saying in general, whether it was you know which whichever way it came, I was wondering that like could that be evidence of maybe. You asked me, like, why couldn't he do it again? My, what I'm putting on the table is because he was a product of the scheme um, and with the offensive coordinator as a potential rationale. And you're saying that, um, no, uh, you know, because Keenum wasn't trying to follow Shermer, so it doesn't matter. He has confidence he could do it wherever he wants. I have no idea what you just said because the audio just went out for like a minute. 
Fair enough. Don't worry about it. You clearly think it is possible for Case Keenum. You are not necessarily thinking that he won't replicate this. And regardless of the, uh, you know, the potential uh, ideas that I dream up, you are going to stay where you are. Jakey, Jakey, when we talk about these running backs, I know you and I agree kind of on these running backs. I know we have said it before. Royce Freeman, we expect to uh, eventually take this job as we've talked about how the talent wins out this kind of rookie cycle with the buzz that we talk about. Listen, Devontae Booker, they wanted him to have this job. They wanted him to grab this job last year, and he just never really did it. So they go out and spend the draft capital early in the draft, the second or third round on Royce Freeman. Um, we think we think he could be an RB2, Jake. Tell me, I know we've said it many, many times, but uh, we, we, we agree that he's going to surpass Devontae Booker in this backfield? It's not even surpassed. He's just going to be the lead in that backfield because mm-hmm. Devontae Booker is just going to be the pass-catching option at this point. But the problem with Freeman is similar to like Alfred Morris back in his day with the Redskins. Is he's going to be seeing very little passing game work. So it's really mm-hmm. down to the fact of he's going to take a little hit in PPR. Can he still be productive in a borderline RB2? Absolutely, because he can still rush for 1,000 yards and six or seven touchdowns. But you're going to get very little added in the passing game, and that's just where the, the difference between him and you know some of these guys who are drafting as top 15 running backs come in. It's, anytime you get past the, the big guys and the ones that aren't in there for 20-plus touches, this is why I want a bell cow running back for fantasy purposes. Yeah, let me ask you this, Jake, talking about still Royce Freeman. You mentioned that we don't expect much out of the passing game from him, right? Haven't we seen in the past, in the past couple of years, backs that we didn't expect a lot out of the passing game, and then the team just starts to utilize them in that way? I'm thinking about, say, like Todd Gurley under McVay. All of a sudden, they were throwing the ball to him outside, like, because they weren't when he was with Jeff Fisher. No, that's completely different. Okay, so I'd love you to clarify and, and explain that to me. The other situation, I, the other example I was thinking about was last year as a rookie, Leonard Fournette was thought to have no kind of addition to the passing game, and they used Again, him a little different. bit. As, okay, so can you explain the differences to me? That they, they can pass catch. That's the difference. Freeman's so how not do we a pass know catcher. that Freeman can't if we, haven't, you know, if we just really haven't seen it yet? How do we know that we he have. can't? We have. You can analyze the skill and watch the tape from college. Yeah. That's what. Okay. That's, that's the why. That's why we know these kids can pass catch and the ones that can't. And we thought that coming out of LSU, that Leonard Fournette like had that potential. It just wasn't demonstrated as much. A hundred percent. Same thing with Darius Geis this year. LSU just okay. doesn't pass to their running backs that much. But when they do, both of them are above average and quite good pass catchers. Okay, so we think that Darius Guy, you mentioned Darius Guy, another rookie who maybe didn't see, we didn't see it in college, but we think he can do it. So what do you, what do you look for when you say like the skill is there if we don't see it on tape as much, Jake? Is it like stuff that we see out of the combine that we see that he's able to do it? Or is it in the limited kind of opportunity and targets that he does have that they do a lot with it? When you say we can see it, what are some of the indicators? What are some of the things you're looking for specifically? No, specifically watching the tape. The combine doesn't mean anything. Okay. Combine's just combine. Everybody overrates the combine every single year. The combine is just affirming things that you know at best. Just, mm-hmm. the, we did this with Dalvin Cook. If everybody remembers, everybody was downgrading Dalvin Cook after the combine because he had a poor combine. How did that work out for everybody? So the fact is, is combine's over overrated, always okay. overrated. But the fact is, you just watch the tape. If the kid can catch, 
you'll see it. Royce Freeman can't catch. He doesn't do a very good job of it, and then they stop using him because he can't. It's not the fact that like we never saw Freeman. It's that we saw Freeman get opportunities, and he doesn't perform well. Nobody's surprised telling you that Alfred Morris in his day couldn't catch. Nobody, it's not a surprise to you if anybody told you that Jordan Howard has problems with pass catching. And that's right. the same thing you see with Royce Freeman in college. And on the, on the other side, you don't see it with people like Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley, Darius Geis, even limited samples. Okay, so you gotta you gotta think about what they actually do with their opportunities when they get it in college. You can see the skill if they can actually if the hands are there or not. Hey, Jake, let's go over to those wide receivers. I mean, Jake, are you gonna have more shares of Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders? I mean, we talk about you know how we talk about um, uh, when we talked about like the uh, Packers running backs, and you said you'll have more shares of Jamal Williams because in this kind of timeshare, you'll take the guy that's going lower, right? And you, and that for in that situation in Green Bay is Jamal Williams. I kind of like I remember years where Demarius Thomas and Manny Sanders were very very close to each other a few years ago, you know, and they were both kind of uh, you know top twenty wide receivers, shall we say? And in a lot of the rankings I'm seeing, there's a bigger gap than most years with Demarius Thomas kind of having more spots ahead of Sanders. That being said, if you follow the same logic, would you try to would you wind up having more shares of Manny Sanders because he represents the value? How do you see this wide receiver room playing out? No, because they're okay. both going at values. They're both because mm. a lot of people are not they're going off what happened last year and they're also discounting Cass Kingdom coming over as you were doing earlier. So the fact is, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are both going at discounts for where their potential is because Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders were Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs before Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs' names were even known to NFL players. So the fact is, they can still come out there and be a solid wide receiver two for Demarius Thomas and a fringe wide receiver two high wide receiver three for Emmanuel Sanders. Neither of them are going close to that price. So, you know, I've actually, to answer the question about owning them, I've uh I've owned back basically about the same share so far because it just depends on when I'm drafting. Is I'll get to, I'll get Demarius Thomas Thomas at a discount. I'll get Emmanuel Sanders at a discount. I'll be happy to own them. I I don't want both of them, but you know that's it's where they are so far. They're disrespected in drafts so far. Yeah, but you wouldn't want both of them on your team. Is that correct? Um, you know this I mean, is not Marvin I... Harris and Reggie Wayne, right? I mean, if I got Emmanuel Sanders, it's not going to happen. But if Emmanuel Sanders kept slipping and he ended up being my fifth run or fifth wide right. receiver, and I own Demarius Thomas, I'm not going to not take him at that point. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, at some point, everything is relative, right? At some point, it just represents a value. Um, you know, kind of like I saw Bill Enright getting Philip Rivers in the twelfth round or something like that, and that draft that you guys did uh, yesterday. We'll dive into that a little bit uh, later on for sure. I want to ask you though, Jake. I want to ask you. Listen. They have been trying to find a third wide receiver in Denver for a long time. I remember Cody Latimer. I, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of guys they've looked for. They drafted a couple of rookies, you know, that I think are very intriguing. I am intrigued by Cortland Sutton. I am intrigued by Deshaun Hamilton. Uh, talk to me about these guys and their profile in redraft leagues and then how they're different in dynasty leagues based on, say, like the contract status of DT or Manny Sanders. Because these are guys who I know coming into the draft, a lot of people like the skill set. Some people thought that Sutton could be the most, like, talented wide receiver in the draft overall. And Deshaun Hamilton out of Penn State, a lot of people were high on also. Denver winds up with both of them. Um, talk to me about your potential for these guys in redraft and in dynasty leagues, Jake. 
Well, the thing is, the Broncos have been, but they're not looking for somebody that's going to be anything for fantasy relevance, just because, you, especially if you're talking about Case Keenum, 3,522, even if he upticks a little bit, it's not, again, he's not throwing for 4,000 plus, and 30, there's not that much there for even a third wide receiver to even happen. But if you are looking for the one between the two this year, and again, I'm not drafting either. Nobody should draft either. It's going to be one of those waiver wire pickups if anything were to happen. But if you're looking for an impact this year, it's going to be Hamilton because Hamilton plays the slot. That's where they don't have a wide receivers and the slot. Manuel Sanders plays outside. Demarius Thomas plays outside. Emmanuel Sanders actually spends very little time in the slot. Both of them are in the mid-teens and percentage-wise of slot plays last year for what people might see in Emmanuel Sanders and just go out assuming things. That's why you go back, and that's where stats really come in helpful. Is, you know, you watch tape and you back it up with stats. Well, the fact is they play outside. They've used all those guys you've been talking about as slot options. That's Deshaun Hamilton's spot. Cortland Sutton okay. doesn't play the slot. Cortland Sutton plays outside. Cortland Sutton will replace... Demar- Demarius DC Thomas eventually. or Emmanuel Sanders, and maybe even next year, because both these guys only have one year left on their contract after this season with very little dead money, and they're both over 30 years old. So if one of them drops off, you have Sutton Hamilton in waiting. They can move on from what heck? They can move on for both of them if they, you know, if this season really goes off the rails and they just want to go for a rebuild. You can see both of them out the door. But for so. For dynasty purposes, I like both of them because of that point. Because as soon as both of them get an opportunity, they could be the new duo. The problem is, is like I said, it really comes down to how much longer both of them stick around. If one sticks around and one leaves, you like Sutton more. If both of them stick around for another year, you're still going to be liking Hamilton. So that's why it's a tough situation to say for dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this, Jake. Something that you mentioned that I think is a very uh, shrewd point that uh, dynasty owners need to consider. When I'm thinking about guys like this, you know, one of the kind of things that is a tiebreaker for me is I look at the contract situations, right, of some of the other people. And we talk about how DT and Manny Sanders may be moving on and how that could accelerate the, uh, you know, kind of accelerate the uh, path to opportunity for some of these guys. I remember recently um, there was some, I think it was a uh, a Washington running back that I was like, oh, but I knew he was going to be moving, you know, moving on. So I got the backup one year. I got like whoever it was, because I knew that they were like chewing up the running back and spitting them out for free agency. You knew like kind of that the Packers were doing that with Eddie Lacy. Do you consider that in dynasty? Because you think that like, just like you're saying for these, for Sutton and Hamilton, for example, that their competition is probably moving on. It looks like Denver is trying to get ahead of this one year. Does that, is that a little feather in the cap for dynasty leagues when you think about the potential movement and contract situations on the team? Yeah, it's something you always have to take into account as the potential is if you can see next year is their opportunity and sometimes it's where you get the buy low or draft low opportunities. But, you know, at the same time, they could bring somebody else in a free agency. Right. We've seen plenty of players before where we just want them to get the opportunity and they just never do. It just kind of depends on the team. So, I mean, you could go the other way too. And actually look at the Dolphins as a perfect example. It's not only – that right. Drake you thought Kenyon Drake would be the man. Yeah. <laughs> he gets the opportunity. He looks great in the opportunity, and you think it's his, and you could have like stashed Drake last year with the thought of they're going to move on from Lamar Miller or drafted mm-hmm. him, I should say. But the same thing is you go into this season, all of a sudden this team still doesn't want to go with Kenyon Drake, and then you're just sitting there with, you know, what the heck happened? 
Yeah, I guess that's true. On the flip side, if you were ahead of the game and looking at contract situations, you could have got grabbed a guy last year like Trey Burton, let's say, a tight end, knowing that he was going to have an opportunity given the contract situations that he was going to be a free agent. Uh, and sometimes you have one. people that end up getting re-signed, though. I mean, if Trey it's Burton true. would have re-signed with the Eagles, and then that would have just been thrown out the window. Fair enough, but I, I do believe, Jake, that there was enough buzz going into the end of last season that we knew he was going to get signed at legit money to be a No, no, I know, but at that point it was too late. What right. I was saying, I was saying in the beginning of the season is you roll the dice and you've done that on players before and then they don't That's go true. anywhere, so then you're stuck. Hey. There's always a risk, right? There's always a risk. That's why you are the all-in kid. Hey, Jake, I saw you on Friday repping on, on Fantasy, uh, on Frenzy. You were repping an all-in shirt. What do we have now? We have, we have Jake, you got your own branding? No, I've had that shirt forever. It's just a, it's the Adidas shirt from years ago where the Adidas did all-in for a while. It was a Notre Dame all-in all shirt. Oh, okay. Well, I'm saying wherever the, you know, wherever the, the camera was cut, I didn't see any Notre Dame logos or any Adidas logos. All I saw was all in. And I was like, look at this Jake Seeley picking himself up. I like that, Jake. I'm not, I'm not disparaging it at all, to be quite honest. I love the self No, I'm just the I'm self not making an all-in shirt. <laughs> I'm saying you could go on over to our guys at Rotoware. Maybe they'll hook it up. Um, I can but... make it myself. All right, we'll make it itself, but I love all the promotion. We got rotoexperts.com, the mark of fantasy excellence. Okay, and don't forget that the exclusive Edge package is on and popping. All right, Jake, here's the, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about Denver. As I mentioned, their over-under for the season is seven, right? And you can go on over to mybookie.ag. They have the props builder tool. I told you, you can make kind of a, a short-term loan, in essence, and go like Broncos over one-and-a-half wins or Broncos under 15-and-a-half wins. But I'm not saying you're going to do that, Jake. The over-under for them is seven. Where would you go? Personally, I'm passing on this line. I wouldn't touch it. I think this is a pretty good line for the Broncos. Yeah, I'm not looking to bet on it either. Yeah, I can see them easily being kind of a 7-9 a and nine team. I am interested. I will say this. I am interested in the addition. I know we don't talk as much defense, Jake, but they did in their first round draft Bradley Chubb to kind of pair on the edge with Von Miller. You know how much I love Boza and Ingram in this division as pass rushers. You know how much I love Watt and Clowney and Merciless. But this also has the potential to be a very fearsome duo combining for, you know, 20, 25 sacks, right? No, absolutely, and the defense is part of the reason why I won't I won't bet on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I hear that. They also, you know, as always, they get their first two games at home. It seems like the Broncos always open with back-to-back home games. They get the Seattle Seahawks in a non-conference kind of road test as Seattle, I mean a home game for them, as Seattle is kind of trying to figure out their new defense without the Legion of Boom. They're trying to work out a rookie running back, so it may be interesting. But like I said, their season win total is seven. Jake and I both think that that's a pretty fair line. We'd much rather you put your shekels on the under bet for the Oakland Raiders. But regardless, if you enjoy playing daily fantasy sports but are sick of the professionals using algorithms and hundreds of lineups and entries, try the Props Builder tool at mybookie.ag. Forget having to create multiple lineups. Ditch the hassle of dealing with late scratches and avoid experts winning 90% of the money. Invest in the players that you want without salary caps. And if you sign up for a new account right now and you use the promo 
code FNTSY, you can get a 50% deposit bonus. No more dealing with that nonsense, the algorithms and the late lineup scratches. You can make it happen. Go on over to mybookie.ag, enter the promo code FNTSY upon sign up, and, uh, you know, you get a little bit of bonus. Jake, if you were going to tease this line, would you be more comfortable with the Broncos, like, teasing it up to, like, eight wins and then betting the under, or teasing it down to six wins and then betting the over? Mm, I'd rather go up and under. Fair enough. I hear that. I, I agree. I do think the Chiefs and the Chargers will ultimately be the class of this division. We'll give you more of our takes on those AFC West teams after the holiday. But when we come back, Jake, uh, we got more to do. We want to break down this fantasy mock draft. And we'll also talk about some moves in the NBA when we come back. Jake and Dane, it's Roto Experts in the Morning on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Want a chance to win two tickets to a 2018 World Series game? Go to dailyrotocom slash DKMS. There you'll find a link to a free DFS baseball contest every day. The contests are sponsored by DKMS, and they're looking for your help in the fight against blood cancer. For many patients, a bone marrow transplant is the best chance for survival. Find out how you can help and play in free DFS contests with a shot at winning two tickets to a 2018 World Series game. Go to dailyrotocom slash DKMS. That's dailyrotocom slash DKMS. Experts in the morning right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I am your host, Dane Martinez. Spitting statistician, I'm joined by my man, the all-in kid. As we were breaking down the Denver Broncos, we were talking about the potential of Royce Freeman. Jake also thinks that this Case Keenum season of 2017 is not necessarily an anomaly. So keep an eye out on that in the AFC West. Jake, we also, as we're celebrating America here tomorrow, we are to the finals of our Face of Baseball tournament. The finals are Mike Trout and Jose Altuve. Now, I know that you believe the fans have misinterpreted our meanings a lot of times in this poll, but you know, now that we're down to the finals, I think it could be interesting. Obviously, people believe that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball, but how do you think this is going to go down for the Face of Baseball, Altuve versus Mike Trout? Yeah, it was like you said, missing terms. So it'll probably be Mike Trout. And honestly, like I said at the beginning, if it was just the two should be the face of baseball, it should be Mike Trout anyway. But the problem is, is this is long lost to go of like the face versus the best talent, because there's a lot of people that are more popular and more easily recognizable. And the fact is, your casual fan on the West Coast probably wouldn't recognize Mike Trout if they saw him or might not even know who he is, and that's the problem. You know, that's what happens. It's not East Coast bias. It's just the East Coast truth. It's, you know, the West Coast doesn't wake up till three hours later, and then we're in bed, and half the country is sleeping while the West Coast is still going on, and they just don't get the television and the publicity, and that's just because most people are in bed. That's just what happens. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I hear you. It's not like a bias. It's just pretty much like it's an exposure kind of thing. You know, you just don't see it. So I understand. Hey, Jake, let's keep it moving, though. We, uh, you guys did a great draft. 
um, you know, what was it, 12? Was it 12 people? And a lot of them were inside Studio 34 and Rock and Riley's making it happen. I know the best friends forever, you, the fantasy executive, our homegirl, Brandon, Marianne Lee. You know, we had our guy, Andy Singleton, over from Fantrax, the analyst, Ventra, that sort of thing. First of all, talk to me generally. How was it going through this mock? First of all, I know you weren't in the studio. Was the studio crowded? Was it, was it a lot of chaos going on? I imagine you get these 12 people in a room or in a chat or on a Skype or whatever it is together. I imagine it can get pretty uh, interesting. Are there any funny things that happen? Any big-time jokes? Any, any? Give me a little bit of the, the culture of the draft. How did it feel uh, making it pop with these guys yesterday? No, that wasn't chaos at all. Was, you have no? 12 people who know what the heck they're doing. That's what it came down to, <laughs> people who's on TV and know how to handle it. And Greg and Corey kind of ran the shop, so they kind of moved things around. Yeah, so it went really well. It's just um, as much as I love my boy Emery, you can tell that he's coming from yes. the football side of things yes. and not from fantasy. Yes, and I wanted to get at that for a little while. Now, now listen, I love Emery Hunt. I love Emery Hunt, okay? Um, but – I will say this. There are a couple of curious decisions in my opinion, okay? And I'm going to list out a couple of curious decisions, and I would love to get your response on, like, which one was the most curious, shall we say, Jake? First of all, you know, we talk about that um, that zero running back theory, right? We were talking about that. I know you say that it only kind of really worked that one year when there were some injuries and, like, Gurley not coming on until late, that sort of thing. But, I mean, he goes wide out, wide out. Then he spends for the elite tight end in round three, grabbing Kelsey over Gronkowski. But then he also spends up for the elite quarterback, taking the first quarterback off the board, Russell Wilson, in the fourth round. And he's going to go to war on a week-to-week basis. That leaves him with Terry Cohen and Nick Chubb as his two starting running backs. And then, Jake... Even with that situation, he decides to not draft another running back until round 12 after he drafts a defense, after he drafts a second quarterback. Talk to me about uh, the craziest thing you saw your boy Emery Hunt do. Mm, all the above. <laughs> like this is just, look, again, he's coming from the talent side of things. Right. So he's, right. you know, it's like talent of real life and the difference between that and fantasy. And I've actually played in leagues before where I had a scout come over and kind of was, you know, I had played in like one or two fantasy leagues and jumped in the flex leagues as a scout. And you could see it. It was, it was very similar. You overdraft positions. Uh, you don't understand the, the ADP and the value and understand that even if, you want a Russell Wilson in a draft like this, you probably still could have waited till round six to get him, uh, understanding that you don't need to draft James Washington or Christian Kirk, right. if at all, <laughs> until the end of the draft. So it's just defense it's, it's round 11. Yeah, so it's just the difference of somebody who's like experienced in fantasy and somebody who's experienced in the game. And But the one thing you could take away from is he, like, if you look at it, you can see if you expect his opinion. Which a lot right. of people you do. Know who his myself. guys are. <laughs> right. You see the who he likes for talent wise, and he's as I've been. We've had this debate about Nick Chubb, and he took Nick Chubb mm-hmm. as a second running back, and not just as a second running back. He took him in front of Jay Jai. He took him in front sure. of uh, looking at like just go Ingram. down that round. Yeah, Carry on no, Johnson. it was right after a Jai. Yeah, it was right after a Jai, and then Ingram, Carry on Johnson, Mac, Carlos Hyde, Crowell, Duke Crowell, Johnson yeah. in the PPR, Chris Thompson in the PPR, Chris Marshawn Thompson Lynch. In the PPR. So, I mean, that, that's just, you know, he likes the talent, but, you know. So he's clearly high things, on Nick Chubb. Right. Right. Let's look at your team real quick, Jake. I mean, you know, we talk about the quarterback. I mean, 
Deshaun Watson sitting there for you in the seventh round. You know, we talk about how all things are relative, right? At some point, you got to pull the trigger. I found it very interesting. We talk about, like, how we wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback. Then you get 12, quote-unquote, experts in the room. And listen, outside, like we just said, Emery went and reached for Russell Wilson. Greg Sussman, at some point in the fifth round, was like, wait. I can still get Aaron Rodgers? Sure, I'll do that. You get Deshaun Watson as third quarterback off the board, sitting there in round seven. Like, tell me, tell me what your thought process is. You know, you see Bill and Scott and Andy drafting before you. At what point, Jake, are you like, okay, if he's still there this time around, I got to snatch him up? Yeah, well, it's uh, what I always do. I'll start take. I will always think about a quarterback in the 7th or 8th round. I'm not always okay. going to take one there because if your typical draft is, you know, you're gonna go these like three guys are all along off the board. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It just it doesn't even it could be 4 and 2. It just I want sure. it could be 3 2 and a tight end. I just I'm not going to usually take it 99% of the time. I'm not taking a tight end before the se- or a quarterback before the 7th round. And once you get to the 7th round, if anybody in the top 5, that being Rodgers, Wilson, Brady, uh, and Watson and Wentz are sitting there. I'll consider taking one of them, and or Cam Newton. I'd probably go. Yeah, so maybe six. Uh, the, that's basically where I'll start thinking about is those six quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So seventh, eighth round, and Deshaun Watson was still there at the seventh, and I was looking at who was on the board, and I already had three of each. The tight ends. I wasn't going to go for Jimmy Graham. I was hoping Kyle right. Rudolph would make it back to the eighth round because I've gotten Kyle Rudolph in tons of drafts in the eighth round. And he didn't, and I still liked what I ended up with tight end. But And if you look at it, I didn't take Deshaun Watson. He definitely wasn't making it back to me because Cam Newton, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Carson yeah, Wentz all went before I came back around. And then if that was the case, like let's say I would have went Kyle Rudolph and didn't take Deshaun Watson. You could say my draft – my no, my, well, I wouldn't have got it, but my draft would be exactly the same as it is right now with just another position there, and then I would have waited till the end like, uh, like the fan or whoever did. I would have taken Matthew Stafford in like the 12th round. Right. Fair enough. Let me ask you one more thing about your draft, Jake, and then I, I have a question for you about uh, Mr. Stanfield's draft that I think is interesting. Um, you go ahead and get Julian Edelman in the sixth round. Now, we know he's likely to miss the first uh, four games because of the uh, suspension. We've been, talk to, we've been talking about guys like Malcolm Milchin, Mitchell excuse me, and Jordan Matthews, Chris Hogan, who might fill that gap. You go ahead, though, and take Julian Edelman ahead of guys like Jameson Crowder, who I know we believe in PPR settings can be a, a decent wide receiver three, guys like Marquise Goodwin, Cooper Cup in that slot getting a lot of catches. Talk to me about you know him, a guy like Mark Ingram, guys who you know are going to miss some time. How do you weigh out you know the value that they return in the 12 games they do play and kind of being if you look at that they would be underdrafted versus knowing that you're going to miss them for a quarter of the season and even more when you think about what the fantasy regular season is really a third of the regular season for fantasy when you consider the four game suspension and their buy as well you're going to miss five of the 13 kind of games there in all likelihood talk to me about why you decided to pull the trigger on Edelman where you did in round six as a 33rd wide receiver off the board instead of guys like say Crowder or Cup uh, that were uh, still available. It's because it's what you're going to get those weeks that they're on the field plus the replacement. Everybody always just mm. doesn't remember that you can have replacement value for the time that's not there. And the easiest time to find replacement value is at the beginning of the season. I'll, I'll take a suspension over a midseason injury every single time mm. because I know there's going to be plenty more options in the first three or four weeks. And the fact is, Julian Edelman, when he's on the field, and it's not even just suspension, it's also health, but when he's on the field with Tom Brady, 
He's a PPR wide receiver one. So you're going to give me that in the sixth round. I'm going to take it. And I'll figure this things out. And I did for the first couple weeks. Right. And then you got to figure, like you said, if you know the suspension, that's what, that's part of the reason why it was such a nightmare last year with the Zeke Elliott. And, uh, you know, incident because you didn't know if it was going to be the first six weeks of the season or if it was going to bleed on into the crunch time and on the fantasy playoffs. And that really caused owners problems. You're talking about knowing that at least it's going to be the first four games. So then when you make it to the playoffs, which, of course, Jake Seeley teams do, you will have, you know, kind of a guy like Julian Edelman as your wide receiver two or three and get a week to week advantage moving forward once he does come back. So I like what you're doing there, Jake. I want to ask you, though, I really because we talk about waiting on quarterback I really like what Frank Stamfel did Jake he waits on quarterback right and then he's on the turn also so he knows that when he goes rounds 11 and 12 he can just pinpoint and get his two guys right and he gets two guys who yes there are still some questions around but on their ceiling is very very high the upside is definitely there for both of his quarterbacks I'm talking about Andrew I'm up all night to get lucky and Patty that's my homes what do you think about what Frank Stanfield did getting these two upside waiting then getting these two upside guys thinking that the chances that one of them kind of ascend to where people expect and he'll be sitting pretty with one of them what do you think about the way Frank Stanfield approached the quarterback? quarterback situation no actually I, I don't like that move at all because no? the fact Why is, is that? no you take because you take one of them and you take the other pick should be the safe pick you don't take two risks what if Andrew Luck doesn't mm. play again this year or what if Andrew Luck is nothing like we ever saw before and now you left with Pat Mahomes who Pat Mahomes let's hope he breaks out what if Pat Mahomes also doesn't break out you draft Andrew Luck and you pair him with a Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford you draft Patrick Mahomes you do the same thing you don't take both the risks together and that's why I actually don't like it Interesting. So, you know, you're, you're worried about like there is then a risk that both of them crap out. And that's and that's the concern there. So if you're going to take the two quarterbacks, you're saying one of them should be more of a safe guy like the Matt Ryan or, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger has still yet to be drafted in this league. And that's a yep. little bit interesting to me. You know, when people still get – I would have taken Big Ben over Ryan. I would have taken him over Dak. No. I would have taken him over no. Derek uh, – over Carr. No. No, they, well, over car, sure, but the fact is, is because you need somebody for half the games. It, it, yeah, I don't know how long we have. To, <laughs> I don't know how long we have to do this, where people continue to say like, "Oh, well, football is not big enough a sample." I'm sorry, three years was big enough a sample for me, and that's what he did again last year. Now it's four years. After four years, after three years, after heck, two years plus. The fact is, something is different with Ben Roethlisberger in that offense. The hmm. biggest explanation anybody can come up with and it's still just speculation, is that they run more under center when they're on the road versus at home, or vice versa. I forget which it is. Uh, and that affects him a little bit. But the fact is, is you, you ha- you, people can't keep ignoring the fact that he's just not as good. He's, he's actually subpar on the road. And I don't understand why people just keep sitting there and they're like, oh, well, you know, he'll be fine. That's interesting. You mentioned being under center. I would, I would – you know, it is speculation. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would imagine under center on the road, right, because of the the, the need to hear stuff. That's what I thought um, too, but I'm, I'm not positive. We're not positive. Fair enough. Let me ask you this though, Jake, because I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, these home road splits with Big Ben and how, you know, I, I, I hear you like once is something, two is a something, three is a trend, whatever that saying is, and this has been for years and years. I guess my question is this, Jake. Does, is this such a big deal that it also impacts your thinking on, say, like, Juju Smith-Schuster, home and road, 
Antonio Brown home and road? Probably not A.B., right? He's obviously matchup and whatever proof. But a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, if you truly believe that Big Ben is less productive on the road, would it then stand to reason that you have concerns on Juju for half of his games? Well, and that's the variety. I keep saying that Juju Smith-Schuster is overdrafted because even if yeah. you look at it, forget the home road splits. The biggest problem that people just forget with him is he's not a typical number two. It's because you have Le'Veon Bell. At best case, any given week, he's the third option. That's best case, he's the third option. And let alone is the game where he gets extra coverage or he's facing an elite defender, maybe one of the top teams in the league, and all of a sudden he's the fourth option because you get Vance McDonald as the third right. option. So the fact is, is that on top of what you're saying is the fact that, well, okay, well, if Ben Roethlisberger's only thrown for 220 and one touchdown, guarantee that one touchdown, uh, well, not guarantee, but you understand what I'm right, saying. Right, but Brown and Bell are still guarantee. soaking it up regardless, yeah. Yeah, and one of those two are the ones getting the touchdown, very likely. It's very mm-hmm. unlikely that Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be the one that absorbs 60% of that on the road if that's all Ben Roethlisberger is doing. So to go back to the entire point of it, the fact that people are drafting Juju Smith-Schuster as this top 15, 18 wide receiver is just its what people do every single year. They get caught up in the hype and the fun and the shiny new toy and look at the explosive. And it is appealing, and the fact is that Ben Roethlisberger and Juju Smith-Schuster are going to have good numbers at the end of the season. You just have to understand that if you're building a team, it's going to be Deshaun Jackson-like. It's going to be up and down throughout the year. Yeah, and absolutely. And don't forget, you know, remember, Le'Veon Bell wants to be paid like a running back and a wide receiver, too. That's because he has the receiving numbers of a wide receiver, too, to your point, pushing Juju down to really the third option on that team. We'll dive a little bit deeper into this fantasy mock draft, you know, uh, throughout the rest of the week as we celebrate America here uh, on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Jake, I was at the Yankee game yesterday, okay? I'm chilling with one of my uh, clients where they had the suite. It was very nice. It was very nice. But then while it happens, while I'm there watching the game, I get breaking news on my phone. I get an alert on my phone that DeMarcus Cousins has signed with the Golden State Warriors. And at first I was like, wait a second. How is that even possible? You know what I mean? And then I see that, you know, I guess he took like the mid-level exception and that's like one way to replace JaVale McGee. I mean, how do you feel about this, Jake? Because I've heard people being like, yeah, good. They answer LeBron. They got to stay out in front. And I hear other people saying, you know what, that it kind of completely ruins the NBA for them when you now consider the likely starting five of the Golden State Warriors, okay, between Steph and Clay, KD, Draymond Green, and Boogie Cousins. Check this out, Jake. This is a stat I thought was absolutely hysterical. The Golden State Warriors, you know, assumed starting five that I just laid out, they combined for 27 all-star game appearances among the five of them. The entire Southwest Division of the NBA and the entire Central Division of the NBA, those 10 teams combined, have a combined 22 all-star appearances, five less than the starting five of the Golden State Warriors. Does this ruin the NBA for you, Jake? Well, okay, so there's a lot of different things here. The fact is, when it comes down to the market, well, no, because just it's not it, it's not just as simple as that's you know this ruins the NBA, shouldn't be happening, blah blah blah. So, Demarcus Cousins first. It's a very smart move by Demarcus Cousins, in my opinion. And I tweeted that out yesterday. And actually, when they were talking about Demarcus Cousins right. going to LA. I first said when that was the case is that this is a weird thing for the Lakers to do because I don't see that being a draw for LeBron. Right. This is before they signed LeBron because the fact is there is zero injury history 
positive return in the NBA coming from an Achilles. And that's the problem is Achilles is a career right. ender. The best case scenario we have is Wes Matthews. And look at Wes Matthews. And not, and not that Wes Matthews was ever on DeMarcus Cousins' level, but even when he came back, he's still like a 14-point per guy. Like He even had a drop-off. He's probably about 80% of what he used to be. So, so you're saying if you you're going to be on a prove-it kind of deal, might as well be in the best conditions for success to make you look good when you're proving it? Well, that's what I was getting to, Dane. I mean, Sorry. Well, I know. We only got two deal. minutes left. You know, we got Roto-Cleo. We got a lot of stuff, Jake. It's we don't action, need to do Roto-Cleo. I wasn't even thinking about that. All right. Fair enough. Talk to me about DeMarcus. Go ahead. Talk to me more about Boogie. So, to, yes, exactly to that. So, if you're going to do a one-year deal, which he needs to do, because next year he can get a bigger contract, because uh, if he's 100%, it's not going to be till the next season. So that's why it's right. smart to what you said. Yeah, that's why it's a smart move. The problem is is people are frustrated because the Golden State Warriors were a championship team. And it has nothing to do with adding DeMarcus Cousins. You know, the Bulls, I got in debates with people last night. They added Dennis Rodman. They added Tony Kukoc. The problem was is they didn't have an all-star at every single position and then add another top 10 player in the NBA, which had already happened because they had already won a championship, bring in the second best player in the NBA and Kevin Durant. So... That's the problem. That's why people are saying it's ruining the NBA because this it's it's a little bit different, but at the same time, you know, people love to hate dynasty, so you'll get some of that. People will watch. People will watch to hate the Warriors. So it's not necessarily a hundred percent bad thing, but at the same time, I think it does pretty much throw the regular season out the window. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. I kind of agree with that, um, Jake. That the idea that it's also it's good to have a villain. You know, it's good to have a villain. That's not bad for the NBA. People like to cheer against, whether it's cheering against LeBron, cheering against the Warriors now. You know, I just wonder, like, at what point, if at all, Jake, you know, I mean, you were an athlete. I was an athlete. At what point does a guy like Clay Thompson or Draymond Green be like, really? Are we making this a little bit too uncompetitive or do they not care and they're like nah we're trying to we're just trying to win rings however we can under the structure of the rules i mean and if guy if a guy like him is going to take a mid-level extension then come on in welcome to the team no well that's why the regular season doesn't matter is because you know you could joke around and say they should win 82 games next year and never lose one but they might just kind of take a lackadaisical because they're not even caring that much until they get to the playoffs Right. They may want to be more rested for May and June. You know, they may not try to do that. Remember when they did go for the 73 wins, that was the year they did not win the championship, you know. And so now they're trying to maybe pace themselves. And with four legit all-stars, they have a better opportunity to do just that and manage minutes across the regular season so that they can be primed and ready to go for the playoffs. Hey, Jake, maybe we'll do more Roto Clio tomorrow. We'll talk more about this fantasy breakdown. Oh, on Thursday. Celebrate the 4th, Jake. Enjoy your day. I will see you on Thursday. We'll talk another AFC West team. And, uh, you know, maybe there'll be more free agent news to break down as well. Jake Seeley, catch him live the rest of the day on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.